but it's invisible. You can hide it and no one can tell. Now, anyone who knows me on social media, I'm so loud and proud. Wear your gadgets, inject in public, show who you are and just show your diabetes. And if anyone has anything to say about it, then that's their problem, not yours. So that shift of not wanting to show it to being loud and proud about it is something that I've experienced along this journey of 23 years. Hi everyone, I'm Daniel Newman and welcome to episode 40 of the Talking Type 1 podcast. And wherever you are in the world, I want to say thank you for joining me today for another episode. And this is in fact the first episode of 2022. So happy new year to you all. So on the podcast, I speak to people about their lives living with type 1. The podcast is for and by the community and is a safe space for those of us living with the condition. In today's episode, I speak to Michelle, who has been living with type 1 for over 23 years. And in our conversation, we talk about Michelle being diagnosed with type 1 as a teenager and how she navigated those teenage years. We also talk about Michelle's pregnancy whilst living with type 1. And we also talk about how Michelle overcame the baby blues after the birth of her child. So it's a really, really in-depth and insightful conversation. Michelle is also well-traveled. She's lived in five different places with type 1. And then we talk about a bit about the different healthcare systems that she's experienced. And then also how to be happy and maintain positivity when living with type 1. In this episode, when talking about glucose levels, we use millimoles and milligrams per deciliter. And Michelle helpfully tells us that if you need to go from millimoles to milligrams per deciliter, multiply by 18. And if it's from milligrams to millimoles, divide by 18. If you're listening on Spotify, then please do rate the podcast. You can go to the Talking Type 1 podcast homepage and click on the star button to submit your rating. If you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at T1D underscore Dan. And the podcast handle is at Talking Type 1 podcast. The one is a digit in both handles. Just a friendly reminder that I'm not a medical professional and information shared on the podcast is not medical information or advice. So here's my conversation with Michelle. Enjoy. I am delighted to welcome Michelle to the Talking Type 1 podcast. Michelle's been with Type 1 diabetes for 23 years. Really looking forward to our, our conversation today. We'll be talking about Michelle's diagnosis story, how um, talking about her experience with being pregnant and living with diabetes, living in different countries across the world, and actually how you can find joy when, when living with diabetes. So, Michelle, how are you? Oh, thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm great now that I'm here with you in this time and space to talk all about diabetes and just have a really authentic conversation. So thank you for having me. No, thank you. And um, yeah, I know it's been a bit of a bit of a delay in us having this conversation, which was at, at my end. So I'm glad we're finally having this conversation. And um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. And as you said, it's about authenticity and um, mm. yeah, just keeping it real and open and honest and that's the that's the kind that's the kind of conversations that I like to have on the podcast so as do with all guests can you talk us through your diagnosis story and how you're diagnosed with type one yeah so i was diagnosed in 1998 <clears throat> i was 14 years old and i was 
So I'm 5'8". I've been the same height since I was 14. And I was about 43 kilos. And so it wasn't weird that I was that skinny, but um, I'd lost so much weight. I think I lost about 10 kilos and my vision went good and bad. And I remember, so I'm short-sighted. I remember looking at the train tracks one day and I could see them perfectly. And normally my vision is so blurry and I thought, it's a miracle. (laughs) And I mean, it wasn't, but, um, and then I'd had the symptoms for about three months. I was throwing up one day and the doctor just said, oh, look, you've got food poisoning because my dad had taken me to McDonald's and I ate the pancakes and the syrup and everything. And I was drinking like two litres of juice or Coke or lemonade, anything I get my hands on every half an hour or hour. Go to the toilet every half an hour like everyone does. And I just had to pee until 2 o'clock in the morning before I could fall asleep. And it was just weird. I just remember thinking, this is not normal, but okay, whatever. And I would just slam another two litres of orange juice and... Then one day my godmother said, I think you might have type 1 diabetes. And so I went on CD-ROM in Carter and, uh, you know, the old school <laughs> CD-ROM. Yeah, sorry, I need to jump in. There. Can you yes. just explain what Encarta is? Yeah. Okay. Any listeners who might not know what okay. we had to do to <laughs> expand our knowledge pre-Google days. <laughs> yes. Okay. So pre-Google, pre the widespread internet. There was a thing called a CD where you would stick it in the computer and Encarta was a, a an encyclopedia on a disc. It feels so funny that I have to explain that, but I get it's so true. CDs don't exist anymore or don't no one uses them. So I had to put this encyclopedia that's on a disc into the computer physically because it doesn't just pop up. And I looked up type 1 diabetes and it was like, wow, I have that symptom. I have that symptom. I have that. I have that. So I said, Mom, I think I should go to the doctor. She's like, yeah, okay, let's let's do that. And my sugar was 28, and they said, you uh, do not pass go, do not collect $200, you must go straight to hospital. And I was like, can I just go get some clothes? They said, no, go straight to emergency. So I went there, and I remember the nurse giving me my first ever syringe in my thigh, and then I just did every injection from then on. I just thought, I need to do this. And I spent a week in hospital. I put on 10 kilos. And as I, the insulin started working, I just ate and ate and ate. I would eat four sandwiches for lunch, have like eight wheat beaks for breakfast. <laughs> they knew I was the girl in bed four or whatever that would just eat and bring the cart around again. And so that was, the, that was in the first week of year 10. And I just remember going, okay, I'm just going to deal with it and do it. And a lot of people said, well, at least it's not something worse. And at that point I felt like, yeah, okay, it's not worse, but it's still bad. Like I think I'm allowed to feel like what I'm going through is not great. And I have a twin sister and she's always been helpful, but I think going through school years at that age, I just wanted to be a teenager. I didn't care about diabetes. I just would do the shots, eat the food. I was kind of happy because I could eat in class and no one could tell me no. And I remember vividly eating in chemistry class. Mrs. Wendelborn was like, you're not allowed to eat. And I was like, well, I'm diabetic, so uh, I'm going to. Even if I wasn't hungry, I just wanted to do it to you know, spite her. Um, 
And so that's my diagnosis story. And I think looking back, I wanted to be a teenager more than I wanted to take care of myself, yeah. more than wanted to take care of my diabetes. And we can get into that. Yeah, yeah, we definitely will. Um, I I guess the first question would be, it, from what you've said, there was a level of independence right from from the off. So after you, you did your first injection, it was like, I'm going to keep doing the injections. Was that just you? Was that kind of you as a person just wanting to kind of take control and be this is this is this is who this is kind of this is who is was that a personality trait or did that come about because you didn't want somebody else to be involved in your diabetes management does that make sense yeah two great points so i think first of all i didn't know who i was i don't think i've figured that out really until now 23 years later um i just knew i wanted to be able to do it um it wasn't about not wanting anyone else to be involved because I don't even think I even knew what I wanted. I just knew that I, if this is what I have to do, I'm going to do it. Now I realise that personality, that girl, that trait has come through and is now shining through 23 years later because I do want to be able to take care of myself. I do want to be able to know that I can do things for myself. Maybe that's been to my detriment sometimes because then I don't listen to myself when I need to take care of myself, but that's a whole nother topic as well. Um, but I think I just wanted to know I can do my injections at school. I can do it myself. And so when, what was kind of the rest, the following years after that, so in mm. school at home um family life how was that when it came to type one and then mm. one thing i also want to know is when did things change hmm. great question so at home i'm the youngest of four i have an older twin sister only by 15 minutes but i'll always be the young one uh and then an older brother and older sister my mom and dad and family life was great in the sense that always make me food she would like as a teenager I'd sleep until 12 she'd bring in the breakfast and then let me go back to bed and I was a vegetarian actually from the age of 12 for 10 years so my mum always made separate meals for me so I was very fortunate in that sense but no one ever really sat down with me and talked about diabetes or really supported me in a way that um not that I didn't um, I don't think I needed support back then or I th didn't know what I needed. Looking back, I think that my family could have been a little more involved <laughs> in taking, um, having conversations. I'd have to say if I asked my dad right now what is diabetes, he, I, I don't know if he'd be able to answer the question. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm not, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think growing up at 14, I was considered an adult to take care of myself. So I was never allowed to go to diabetes camps. I was considered too old. So I did not have anyone around me who could I could talk to. There was two girls in school. One of them, we wrote letters to each other about our diversaries, but that was kind of it. For 16 years, I never talked to anyone other than a doctor or an endocrinologist and 
when we start to talk about healthcare, I'll get into how I felt about that. Um, so, so the years after diagnosis, it was just me trying to manage my own diabetes and just trying to be a teenager, wanting to go out, wanting to just be normal, wanting to finish school, go to university. The huge shift, two huge shifts would have happened. At 16 years, I discovered YouTube with diabetes and I found this funny video online where there was a cartoon someone had made and the pancreas was being questioned and was the defendant. (laughs) And it made me laugh. And I thought, wow, there's other diabetics in the world. I just had no idea. And this was really when I started using social media. And then I found the diabetes online community and I it felt like this breath of fresh air. So that would be the first point of finding social media and when changes happen to feeling better about myself. The second big one would be preparing for pregnancy. I realized I have to take care of myself. I need to. I want to. I want to do whatever the doctors, you know, are listing is your criteria to plan for pregnancy. So knowing I wanted to plan for pregnancy a year before conceiving, um, I went and got an insulin pump because I thought that's what you have to do. And you can stay on injections, but I knew that that's what I wanted. So. Preparing for pregnancy was really the biggest shift in needing to take care of myself. And that theme has followed through. Now the kid, my youngest is two and a half of I want to be around and I want to be the mum that runs with them or goes skiing. I'm a terrible skier, but I'll still try. Um, I want to jump out of planes when they're ready and they're 18. I mean, I've gone skydiving twice. I've summited Kilimanjaro. If they want to do that, like, I want to be the one that's coming with them or at least waiting at the resort when they come back. But, you know, I want to be active and I know that it's very easy to ignore my diabetes and ignore health because you can put it at the bottom of the to-do list and it can stay there for so long until the long-term effects and complications happen. And I realise I just don't want to wait for something to happen. That's bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, makes makes complete sense. And um, you touched on kind of like the two, there were two kind of pivotal moments was the social media and, uh, and pregnancy. I guess before we get into that discussion around those points is that, well, 16 years kind of, going 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 at it alone that's a long that's a long time so what was the biggest challenge that that you faced and you've had to overcome or challenges uh, that you had to overcome during those 16 those 16 the years first one the biggest one would be self-esteem self-confidence wanting to hide my diabetes so wanting to be a teenager over wanting to take care of my diabetes so I would like do injections in the toilet or try to test my sugar really quickly not want to stop anyone or stop what's going on to check myself I would never carry juice never carry candy and then it would be suddenly this urgent thing like I'd be at a music festival and it's like we're going to jump the line get the lemonade get the hot dog or whatever and um 
not wanting to take care of myself in a way that I wanted to hide my diabetes and self-esteem. So growing up wanting to be looking like every other girl, not wanting to wear an insulin pump. The doctors said, this would be really good for you. It'd be really helpful to have wear a pump. And I just refused. And looking back, it probably would have helped me manage it a bit better or a lot better. <laughs> um, and so then self-confidence, like just not wanting to look different. I, you, you know, diabetes is this invisible, they say illness. I hate the word illness because I don't think we're ill. Um, but it's invisible. You can hide it and no one can tell. Now, anyone who knows me on social media, I'm so loud and proud. Wear your gadgets, inject in public, show who you are and just show your diabetes. And if anyone has anything to say about it, then that's their problem, not yours. So that shift of not wanting to show it to being loud and proud about it is something that I've experienced along this journey of 23 years. Yeah. And just a bit more on that. If there's somebody listening now who is feeling how you felt, particularly when it comes to like not wanting to show your diabetes and linked to linked to self-esteem. And I think that that's, uh, that's something that can affect everyone. And so I know particularly my teenage years, I didn't want to show I had type one. I was also offered an insulin pump and I said, no, but I look back and I think, well, maybe if I had an insulin pump, how would life has turned out? Would it be, would it be different? Um, but it's all if, buts, and maybe yeah. and hindsight's a wonderful thing. But what advice, where you are now, what advice would you give to somebody who's listening? Or if there's a parent of a child with type one who's listening and perhaps they're noticing this in their, in their, in, with their child, what advice would you give? Great question. What advice would I give is seek support. Try to find some someone, a group, a, a connection or su someone online, like you might follow a type 1 diabetic that speaks to you because everyone is inspired by different people or different ways of communicating. So I think figuring out what you need and what support you need. So for me, I needed support and self-esteem. I realise that now. I don't know if I even knew that back then. If it was for a caregiver, I would say, look at how your daughter or son or younger child is communicating and try to meet them where they are, introvert, extrovert, um, they're a talker, they're a writer, whatever it is that you feel like you can communicate with them, meet them where they are and do that. Try to go slowly into that conversation because for me, talking is my number one me medium of communication. I love talking. I could talk to the wall if it would talk back. <laughs> Everyone knows I love talking. Um, but my husband's a writer. And so I know that that's the way I would go into communicating deeper topics or something like that. And, and I love that. I think it's really important to understand that. So I think support and communication are two big ways of 
meeting someone where they are that is going through a hard time. My other piece of advice would be listen to yourself because sometimes we ask ourselves questions or we talk to ourselves, to ourselves in a certain way that we wouldn't talk to someone else that way. I've been, I can be talked to myself very harshly and I would never speak to someone else like that. And now I realize why would I put myself down or be so self-critical and judgmental. So now I would look back and say to myself, write it down, like write down how you're feeling. Even if it doesn't go anywhere, at least you can get it out of your head. Tony Robbins said, you stay in your head, you're dead. Now, no one wants to die, but like you just, you've got to get it out on paper or put it, write it down in your phone or whatever. And then you can go, okay, what was concerning me? How can I seek help? Do I need to talk to someone about that? Do I need to just read an article online? Do I need to look at that inspirational blogger or, you know, someone online? Because I think help and support is one of the biggest things we can do for ourselves, that we can do for others, and it looks different for everyone. I know my medium is talking, and that's why I'm so excited to be here today and to be able to talk and, like you said, to talk in a real authentic way because that's all we can do, right? We can only be ourselves. And my other piece of advice would be be yourself. I wanted to be someone else when I grew up. I wanted to be that girl or that look a certain way. And now I realize I don't want to be anyone else other than myself. I just, all I can do is be me and yourself is the best person you could be. Totally agree. And I really like that you said, um, talking about meeting, if it's, if you're a caregiver or if you're a friend or whoever who's listening, about meeting the person where where they are because it's very easy for us as individuals when we go to help somebody that we communicate in the way that we like to communicate and I've probably been guilty of it myself I know I have um, I'm sure everyone has but it's such a key thing and I also think as well that if you say you are a parent or you're a caregiver and it's a child in their teenage years then you need to my just thinking back to when I was it it's just that you need to also allow them to have that space to express themselves and to build up the trust and if you see something go wrong don't it's not about jumping on them for that mistake but it's okay your levels were higher I know you were doing X, Y, Z. How can we work together rather than your levels were high? I know if I was doing it, it would be better because then that doesn't allow for that conversation to start flowing and does much more harm harm them than good in, in the longer term. I think one of the key things that you said as well, and I don't know whether you have the answer to this, but it was about identifying your needs. And you said it took you a long time to identify your needs if how could somebody identify their needs is it along the lines of what you said about trying following in your opinion following people on social media looking to see what other people are are talking about you spoke about writing and journal yeah what what would you say yeah 
great question. I think to identify your needs, you got to go inward, get really curious about yourself. And so a good place to start would be, well, what are my challenges? What am I struggling with? What are the issues? Writing that down and saying, okay, well, how do I need, how can I help myself get over this funk or how, what do I need? Do I need a doctor? Do I need a friend? Do I need a therapist? Do I need to journal? So understanding what your own challenges are or writing down your own perceived limitations. We limit ourselves in our mind. I can't do this. Oh, this is too hard. But it's not necessarily true. So I love therapy. I'm a big fan of therapy. Um, and one of my therapists once said, look, because I've been in some toxic workplaces and situations and, you know, when someone's yelling at you, you can say, is it true? Yes or no? Make it that simple. So when you talk, when we talk to ourselves and we talk to ourselves negatively, we can challenge our own thinking and say, is this true? Like I grew up thinking that I was um, not pretty enough. And so I could just say, is this true? Yes or no? And maybe my answer back then would have been no, but if then maybe that's what I need to take to the therapist or that's what I take to the conversation with my mom or my sister um, or those high sugar levels. Yeah, they're really bad. You're a bad person, but you're not a bad person. It's just a crappy number. <laughs> like It doesn't define who you yeah. are. Um, so I think understanding ourselves, listening to ourselves and understanding the challenges because we grow during our hardest times and we learn from those times. Even when we're in that funk and in that low point in our lives, it will get better. Something will change. You will have learned something. And when times are good, that's the reward for working so hard to get yourself out of that funk. And everyone, I think, in the diabetes online community is there to help you get out of it. And someone is out there wanting to hear your story too. And I really encourage everyone to share their story in a way that feels safe. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it just made me, I heard um, uh, a quote one time, or I was listening to something and it was about um, a closed question closes your mind and an open question opens your mind. And it's not about thinking how I can't do, but how can I, how can I do this? How can I do that? And when you do start to think that way, as you've touched on, it does make your mind think differently. So you start mm. to think about, okay, well, how can I do this? How can I get my time in range from 40% to 50% if that's where you are? Mm. Okay, I can do this by maybe breaking down that 10% to 1% a week or 2% a week. And then I can see where I am in a week's time or, or two or whatever. And it's just, how can I, and you're thinking and you're just changing, changing that, that mindset. And I think that's a key thing as well. And it's something that I'm really interested in, in talking like mindset and shifting paradigms and not living in kind of what you've been told is your truth by other people and actually finding your own truth and a lot of unlearning to relearn. And um, yeah, I could talk about that all day but um <laughs> me too well i'm glad you said this because i've got to say when i talk about wanting to find 
where my pillars are, say, with global diabetic and how I want to sort of center what I talk about, mindset is the biggest thing because that's been the biggest change for me. And you talked about um, how you change your mindset. Oh, from I can't to I can. My My planning for pregnancy story would be, I saw the list of things that the diabetes associations would say you need to do to plan for pregnancy. And it was spend your time in range from uh, four to say eight or 80 to uh, 160. And I thought that is impossible. There is no way I can get my sugar levels in that. There's no way. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then I said to myself, okay, if that's what they're listing, it's got to be possible. How can I? How can I get those levels? How can I achieve um, that tight range that they're saying I need to, you know, be healthy for pregnancy? So I went and saw a nutritionist. I went and saw the endocrinologist. I went and changed what I ate. I ate healthier, less sort of carbs or less fried food. I love to eat burgers and fries and all the all those things. But if I just sort of cut back on that for a little while in my life, then it is possible. And that shift for me was incredible i went paleo for two weeks i'm not paleo but i did it and i achieved these great numbers for two weeks that i thought were literally impossible so i showed myself i can go from i can't to i can exactly what you just said and i thought wow i did that and i think when we do things for ourselves it sticks more and you achieve something and you're like, wow, I can do it. And I think that builds strength. It's like taking your mindset to the gym and lifting weights and you just like did a big deadlift and (laughs) won an Olympic medal for changing your mindset. And I'm not perfect. Like I am not an expert. I'm just a diabetic who wants to share my story and help people along the way. And I would love to have a meal plan. I'd love to have a workout plan. I'd love to do all these things. And I haven't. Will I get there one day? Maybe, but I'm not going to wait till I'm there to be happy or to share my story. I'm just going to keep going. Like I just interviewed Sahil. He's an exercise guru and he's leading India's first type 1 diabetes central kind of personal training program. And he's so inspiring because he went from really suffering with his diagnosis and being underweight to just learning the science of how to eat right to get fully fit and to work out properly and I kind of want to like start a program with with fuse training because you know you you can help yourself in ways that are unbelievable I mean I know that exercising more is beneficial and I'll get there but you know working out a couple of times a week is still it's okay it's progress and I think progress over the desire for perfection is important too. I hope you're enjoying the conversation with Michelle so far. And if you are listening on Spotify, then please do rate the podcast. If you go to the Talking Type 1 podcast homepage and underneath the description, there'll be a star. So please click on the star and rate the podcast. It'll be greatly appreciated. Thank you. And here's the rest of the conversation with Michelle. Enjoy. I, I agree with that definitely progress over perfection always and you've touched on it already so can you 
talk to us a bit more about your your pregnancy journey so I know you've touched on kind of planning uh, the kind of planning for pregnancy but what was just if yeah if you could just talk us through the journey from planning up until yeah, yeah. Birth. until birth and, and beyond and, if you, and, yeah, if you and beyond yeah, yeah. you're right <laughs> okay so we've touched on planning for pregnancy the day I found out I was pregnant something incredible shifted because I realized I have this life inside of me that gave me a higher reason a higher motivation to eat better I don't know if I was able to really understand how I could treat myself kindly until that happened. And when I found out I was pregnant, I stopped drinking coffee for the first three months. Um, and I am a double, I'm like a three double espressos in the morning kind of person. And I was like, wow, this miracle inside of me is helping me have more willpower and ability to be able to take care of myself. And that would be the first thing, obviously, and stop drinking champagne and wine <laughs> and the ability to be able to say, hey, I've had enough to eat, just wait a little bit longer or I would have to, by the third trimester, I would have to pre-bolus an hour before eating just to make sure that the insulin started working. And I don't like waiting to eat. I don't like waiting for my numbers to come down to eat, but one of the recommendations is also to wait till you're about maybe 5.5 or 6, so 120, um, to eat. And so I learned, okay, if I'm sitting at 170, just wait a little bit longer, do what I can. Now, I didn't do that the whole time. I definitely ate ice cream and fried rice and Chinese takeaway when I was pregnant, but we'll get into that. Um, but I realised... I can treat myself kindly and this miracle inside of me was this guiding light towards, hey, just treat yourself a bit kinder and eat a bit healthier, eat a bit slower, make better choices. And I really showed myself that I can treat myself very kindly and eat healthier in a way I never knew possible. So that would be the first incredible shift. And then as I got bigger and started to feel like a whale and couldn't really move, um, I started posting pictures online, like of my pumps on my belly side. And um, I realized there was so much power in sharing my story. I've had women from around the world say, hey, I've been inspired by your pregnancy and we've had a baby because I've seen how you can do it. And women from Portugal and Russia and the Philippines and all over the world. And so it doesn't matter what language you speak. We all speak diabetes. <laughs> and I um, just ask quick, how does that make you feel yeah. knowing that sharing a picture of your insulin pump on your stomach has actually had an impact on women around the world, knowing that pregnancy mm. is possible? Because I know for some women, they're told, you've got type one, you can't have children when that's not true at mm. all. So yeah. How, how did you feel? And then I'll let you get back onto talking about your journey, but yeah, yeah. well, I'm, te I'm tearing up in the lead up to talking about it because it's so powerful just sharing a picture and, or, and a little 
caption on Instagram that says, hey, you can do it. Diabetes doesn't stop us doing anything. And I used to do that little hand punch emoji, like diabetes doesn't stop us doing anything. And you're right. Women are told they can't have babies and that's not true. You just have to take care of yourself a bit better. And yes, there are complications that can occur, but all you can do is be your best self or try, just try to do whatever it is that your doctors and you know are good for your healthy um, journey. And it made it made me feel and it makes me feel like I was given diabetes as a gift. Sharing my story, I could not share anything on social media and never have shared this story, but I feel like I was given diabetes as a gift to share with the world and inspire other people to have babies or be healthy or be positive or find the joy. I think being positive takes effort. It, it doesn't just come naturally. Like I don't necessarily wake up and like, hey, world, I'm so happy and joyful and, oh, my God, I just love everything about this moment in life. No, I could be super grumpy. I need my coffee I or need to do like a quick little workout and then I feel the endorphins and the energy. But I think the um, working, searching for the joy, finding the positivity and by sharing pictures of pregnancy, me being pregnant, I had a coaching session once and my coach said to me, what's a picture that makes you feel powerful and strong but soft because we'd have realised that those were words that really aligned to me. And it was this particular picture of me in my pregnancy shoot. You can see my Dexcom on my arm and my pump hung to my um, clothing and an eight-month pregnant belly. And so she said, print that picture and put it up in your house because that reminds you of me of how powerful I can be and soft at the same time. And sharing that image helps other women and men just go, yes, type 1 diabetes is possible. I'm sorry, pregnancy is possible with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, so pregnancy story. Um, so sharing my story was really powerful while I was pregnant because I still felt alone. Even though I was sharing photos, I still need support. So I was living in, we, my husband and I were living in Dubai at the time and I found on Facebook, this group, T1D Sugar Mamas. Brooke is their founder. I messaged her on um, one night and she wrote back straight away. And she wrote back like I was her best friend and just responded. And we were halfway across the world. But she knew what I was going through. You're pregnant. You're diabetic. You don't have any support around. Now, Brooke is 36 years T1D. She has five children She's like my hero when it comes to, you know, living with diabetes and showing you that it's possible. Now, I don't think I want five children, but I love that she has built this support network. So T1D Sugar Mamas, is this, is, she's got a Facebook group, she's got Instagram, she does lives, and she helps women feel connected. And on that Facebook group, while I was pregnant, I was able to just ask questions and someone would answer and you would just feel like it's not a question you're going to wait to ask your doctor. You just want to know, hey, it could be about anything, eating food or going for a walk or whatever it is. You all, I always knew that there was someone online 
from around the world who would answer straight away. And I still am friends with Brooke today. We even went um, on the Myabetic Diabetes TV show and talked about pregnancy. And it was like this full circle from feeling alone to then sitting on a couch with Kira, the founder, and Marcy and just talking all about diabetes and feeling like sharing our story is one of the most great important things that we can do. And I love that diabetes, this gift that I was given, I can say that now because I feel like I am helping people. And coming to the end of pregnancy, so I'll talk about then the later part, so the third trimester, it was hard. Like when you are feeling like you weigh a ton, you can't move quickly, it's... Um, it was summer in Dubai and then the second pregnancy was summer in Hong Kong. Um, we moved from Dubai to Hong Kong when I was eight months pregnant. And then when I was four months pregnant with our second son, we moved apartments in Hong Kong. I was like, what is it about me and getting pregnant and moving? <laughs> but that third trimester, you're so close, you can't sleep. You have to bolus an hour before you eat. Everything sort of feels like is against you and you're just tired. But when that baby comes, I felt this pressure valve release from the diabetes. So the day my sons were born, I ate. You could. There's this picture of me. I have a pasta, I have a burger, I have fries, and I actually ate myself silly and got, felt sick of overeating. But I felt like I can just not care about diabetes for a minute because the baby's born and the babies are healthy. Now taking a step back with my first son, he was born, there was no complications. My second son, he was born and his blood sugar was like 1.6. Now it was so low and that my husband and the doctors took him to, um, to clean him up and I'd had a, cesarean so they were finishing closing me up I guess and the doctors in the um in the room where my husband was and my newborn baby no one was doing anything about it no one was trying to get this baby formula and my husband luckily enough he knew that 1.6 is not good no matter what and so he was saying someone get this baby formula and for about half an hour he's trying to find someone or someone that would listen and eventually they got him some formula and the next day the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you know, that that was okay or just didn't talk about how serious it was. Then the next day when he came back again, he said, oh, yeah, your baby could have died. And this is when you hear that and you realise that you've worked so hard and you have this life that, you would do anything for, but people don't understand diabetes. Or maybe it was every nurse that didn't really have a diabetes kind of background. You just think, thank God for my husband who was there, who understood what to do in that moment. Because it's one thing to assume everyone knows how quickly to act. Some people don't, you know, and so 
if that's what we're doing here today is trying to raise awareness and trying to get people to understand the urgency of a, a situation like that, then I think that's one of the greatest things we can do as well. But Yeah, oh, thank you for sharing yeah. that. It's <laughs> so good to hear that your husband was just just knew what was going on and eventually somebody listened listened to right. him and um yeah 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 so yeah. that's that's really that's that's really good that um, that, yeah. that happened yeah uh, <laughs> and i can touch quickly on um yeah 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 after please the baby's do. born because i think that's important yeah so after the baby comes out like everyone focuses on pregnancy, have a baby. It's going to be amazing and focus on pregnancy. As soon as the baby comes out, I felt like, what do I do? Like here's this human that is crying the whole time. You need to feed it. You need to be there every second because it can't sustain life on its own and then add diabetes into it. So I tried to breastfeed and whether you breastfeed or formula feed, it, it's your own personal choice, but I tried to breastfeed and I hated it and I just kept trying to do it and my sugar level would go low every time. So I learned to sort of reduce my basal by 50% as I started breastfeeding and have a juice box nearby and I would be trying to feed and trying to drink juice at the same time. But I think that your post-baby or birth experience, your hormones are crazy, you're trying to manage diabetes, you're trying to manage all these things and take care of a new life that you have no idea what to do. Well, I didn't. Um, the pressure came in a different way. So there's pressure with being pregnant and then there's this immense feeling of how do I manage diabetes and take care of a child? And it's crying the whole time, you know, and I guess it, it comes back to trying to find support. Like I rang a lactation consultant and um, and then I guess groups like T1D Sugar Mamas, that's where you then your needs for support change. So I would encourage every woman to just um, figure out what kind of the support they need and try to get that as well because I know that my post-birth baby experiences, I had serious baby blues and I didn't ever expect that I would have that. I didn't know I would cry all day every day. I thought when you have a baby, it's the most joyous thing that will ever happen to you. <laughs> and it is hard. It's very hard. I will include a link to um, T1D yeah. in the show notes. So if, yeah, so if you go into show notes now, you'll have a link to Facebook and, and to um, Instagram as the Instagram page as well and actually touching on that and earlier on you mentioned about having a social media friend and then th that friend bringing Brooke and then it kind of went full circle where you ended up on Myabetic and it, there was just a nice there was a nice link yeah. link link there um, be, be, between the two and just maybe talking a bit more about the baby blues before mm. we move on how did you overcome what did how did you work through the baby blues mm. and is there any or is there any advice that you could share if yeah if somebody's in if a similar position or pregnant or, yeah that'd be yeah. really good so i think because i know i'm a talker and i need 
to talk about my feelings. I need to get it out. So if I don't talk, I will erupt like a volcano. So I kind of know what I need. I knew what I needed. And that was to talk to um, either my friends or ring my mom or my sisters um, and connecting with other mums. I'd have to say for me, that was the most important thing. Because when you connect with mums who have kids the same age, they know exactly how you're feeling. And then connecting with mums like Brooke, who have already gone through it, you get other bits of wisdom from them and they can help get me through it. Having friends who didn't have children at the time, they were great to catch up with and have a glass of wine with because I think you need, I needed that too. But having play dates with other mums who had newborns, you can sit and talk about your experiences. And so talking about what I've gone through, how I'm feeling, how what I want to do, you know, with your little baby plan because everyone sort of has a sleep plan or a feed plan or a that was important for me was just talking. So I like that your podcast is the Talking Type One podcast because that's how I think I overcame baby blues. Or you know, there are days I still cry, whether it's baby blues or not. But having two toddlers can make any woman cry. So, <laughs> but talking is the way I know I can express myself, that I can get support, that I can um, change my mindset because I might say something and my friend might say, well, you know, but have you thought about this? That helps me because I need to be put in my place sometimes. I think I know everything. I think the way I think is right. The way I do things is the best way until someone else suggests something differently. And then I realize, oh yeah, I can, I can change the way I think or what I'm doing. And so baby blues for me was something I never expected. So it was more intense because I just expected to feel great after having a baby and then talking it out, seeking support. And I guess I say that a lot, seeking support, but that's, I guess, how I knew I could get what I needed. And my mum gave me some good advice. Have a shower before lunchtime. There are days when I could get to 4 p.m. and feel like I've done nothing, but you've literally kept a baby alive all day. That's all you have to do. And you've taken care of your diabetes. But if you can just have a shower before lunchtime, that is all you need to do to sort of feel fresh for the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, um, there's talking to different groups, uh, so whether it be new mums or mums who have type one. Is that um, do you did you do you feel seen? And then is it also part of? validation as well and actually the feelings that I'm feeling the experience mm. that I'm going through it is valid that's a great um, question yeah absolutely I think going from that teenage girl that I was talking about was so had low self-esteem all I've ever wanted to do I guess is feel seen and heard even when I didn't know that that's what I wanted so then in these diabetes groups whether it's Instagram whether it's the Facebook T1D sugar mamas group you f I feel seen and heard I feel like someone else understands what I'm going through and can help me in a way that's not waiting for a doctor's appointment to check uh, all my questions and so feeling seen and heard is definitely something that has helped me 
feel happier and feel like I belong. And in the diabetes community, I feel like I belong. And it's nice to kind of go, yeah, I don't have to do this alone. I don't think anyone should have to go through it alone. And that's why I was put on this earth and given diabetes so I can just try to help everyone I can. One thing that you've spoken of as well is Mm. about positivity. And I just wanted to talk to you about how do you, how do how have you and how can people find joy when living with, with diabetes? Because for all intents Mm. and purposes, it's a chronic illness, the way that the society in terms of what we in, in society we live in, you in theory shouldn't mm. and I don't believe this I'm just paraphrasing but society think well chronic illness you shouldn't really mm. be experiencing joy with 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 a chronic illness it's all doom and gloom I don't believe that at all mm. I believe you can thrive with diabetes but for you how have you found joy with diabetes and what steps did you go through to get to mm. to get to that to that point great question so I think I've always wanted to be happy first and foremost so even in my dark teenage years where I want to look like everyone else and I want to wear the right clothes and say the right thing and be that teenager I've always wanted to be happy and I wasn't happy back then yeah I was going to say what what does or maybe you'll get mm, to this okay but what does happiness mean what does happiness mean to me means just trying to enjoy the moment. I know that now because I'm very present-minded. I try to be. No, I am. I try. I can certainly be moody. But I, when I say to myself, I have no other agenda, like I don't have to do anything else but play with the kids or be in this meeting or whatever it is, that's when I find the most joy. When I try to think too far in the future or go through the backlog of my memory, it's very easy to be negative. So I can definitely look back and see all the negatives, but what I'm trying to do now is see the positives and search for the positives. So happiness to me means just trying to um, either figure out how to overcome challenges or how to overcome a bad moody moment how can I get over it either distract myself or change my mindset so searching for positivity is something that I've always wanted to do living with diabetes I think has helped me do that because I feel like I've found a place where I belong and starting global diabetic just an Instagram account where I didn't even know it would take me to this place today, but I knew that I connected with other diabetics and would read other people's posts and just feel like, wow, they're going through that too. I don't feel so alone. And so searching for positivity, and I say searching for or looking for or working for because it doesn't just come naturally, or maybe it does for me a little bit more than others, but in a way that I still look for it. I love positive affirmations. I love positive TED Talks, positive podcasts, 
things that try to help me shift out of the funk and out of looking back in memories. So they say, like, your memories are not an archive of what happened. They're there as lessons to be learned, to take you into the future, into a better future, because I have found it very easy to be negative and I flex this muscle and I exercise trying to find the positivity. And about it sounds easier to say this now, but there was a long time where that's not how I felt. And so I think finding other people online, like social media accounts and listening to things, filling my informational world with things that lift me up rather than drag me down. There are days that I've spent looking at all the gorgeous women on Instagram thinking, why don't I look like that? Why does she look like that? How does she have that? Or, And I just don't do that anymore. I do not go down a rabbit hole. My whole Instagram is pretty much um, diabetes related or there's like champagne or fitness. That'd probably be the three categories that come up on my explore page because they make me happy. And I love following other people who live with diabetes. And even if someone shares a story about how they're having a struggle, I, I, I'll try to help them or just um, try to connect with them in a way that I probably needed when I was feeling that way. Was that a long answer? But <laughs> did that answer? Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, it was a good answer. And when you do that, it can right. it normalizes the struggle as well, I think, to when 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 you see somebody is is um is struggling and you've touched on you mentioned global mm. diabetics. Obviously that's your that's your Instagram page, but can you talk a bit more about about that? Because something you said just then was mm. you had a sense of belonging when mm. you created that page so yeah how did that all come up how did yeah. that how did that so all come about? i started i think about six years ago i remember my first post was like um i didn't have any needles left in my bag i think i deleted that post because i uh, a few years ago didn't know whether it was right or wrong or whatever anyway the point is i had no n- needles left and i was going out to meet my husband for lunch and i just wrote no needles left Oh, no, something like that. But then my mother-in-law was like, oh, no, are you okay? And I realized she started freaking out. But the, I guess the few comments or likes or whatever happened, it made me feel like, oh, other people are going through this too. This is okay. This is normal. Um, and then I realized there's so many di- people living with diabetes in the world, whereas before that Instagram, I felt like, not that I was the only person in the world, but that I just had no idea how many other people were living with it because this gorgeous thing called the internet helped me <laughs> connect with other people. So yeah, yeah. It, it for a long time was just me posting pictures and it's kind of this stupid archive of selfies. But at the same time, um, people have found so much power and connection in the pregnancy journey. And some people will say, I've been following you since your first pregnancy or even before that. And that just makes my heart sing to help other people along their way where I can, yeah, help other people without even having to see them face to face. And so then it turned into, I always have always known I wanted 
to start a YouTube channel or a podcast or whatever. And I've searched for every other reason other than diabetes, luxury, fashion, cars. I love cars, motorsports. And yes, while that's always spoken to me, I started working with a podcast coach last year. Her name's Nikki O'Brien. She runs the, um, she does the quintessential being by Nikki um, podcast. And we started working together and she started saying, look, before you start a podcast, you've got to get really clear on who you are. I'm like, who I am? I don't, I don't know who I am. Like, why would anyone want to know who I am? I just, I've got a global diabetic account. I just want to do that. But we started asking these questions who, like, who are you? What do you enjoy? What do you like? What is it that you value? What do you want other people to know? What do you want to know about yourself? And as I started working on these questions, I realized, oh, is this how you find out who you are? And you've got to just start somewhere. And so then I thought my podcast was going to be about um, women in leadership and because I've run a couple of companies before and um, women in uh, corporate roles and that sort of thing. So I really enjoy that too. I love feminine energy. I like talking to you, Dan, but I've, I mean, as in in a corporate world, because I ran, I was in construction for twelve years, very male dominated. <laughs> no offense. Um, so yes, yes. I still <laughs> didn't know what topic I wanted to talk about, and then. I wanted to do the podcast, I wanted to do the YouTube, but that takes a lot of time with editing. And then Nikki talked about going live on Facebook or going live on Instagram. And I thought, yeah, okay, I really want to go live on Instagram. And I'd never done it before and I was so nervous. So I got her to interview me on my own channel so that I wasn't alone the first time I went live. And I haven't watched it back, but I'm sure if I watch it back, I'm going to be like, wow, you know, you were super nervous, et cetera. But I realized I had to start before I was even ready or before I felt I was ready. And so I started it in a way that I felt like I kind of knew who I was. Okay, I want to talk about diabetes. I want to help other people. I want to help myself while I sit there and talk about diabetes. And it has. I'm now up to my coming up to my 42nd week and I just love talking about anything. Yeah. That's your fault. 40 seconds right, Monday's, Monday's with, with Michelle. Michelle. Okay. So can you talk? Yeah. So Monday's with Michelle is I go live every Monday and I talk about any and all topics. And I just feel like there is no limit to the amount of topics that can be discussed. Pregnancy, self-esteem, technology, whatever it is, I want to talk about it. And I want to talk to experts. I'm not an expert. I'm just someone living with diabetes who wants to share a message, share a um, an expertise. So I've talked with psychologists of who specialise in type 1 diabetes or um, fitness trainers. And so Mondays with Michelle is really this um, medium, this time and place and space where I want others to learn about themselves or learn how they can improve their lives. But also, also it's therapy for me. It's literally every Monday I go live, I sit there feeling slightly guilty about the fact that I'm enjoying it in a way that like I get to speak to an expert and um, help myself at the same time as I'm helping others. And so, but I also do like a monologue. I could just talk about my experiences. And I think that's all I can do is 
I've talked about pregnancy. I've talked about following your dreams. I also want to touch on like self-esteem, something that we've touched on today because I think it's a big topic. But I'll include a link to your Instagram profile in, yeah. in the show notes as well. And Mondays with uh, Michelle, they are uploaded to Instagram. Yes, so IGTV, I mean, there's a post on my main page. I put the link in the bio to the latest episode and yeah. uh, on the IGTV section. And one day when I get around to it, I have a website www.globaldiabetic.com i'll eventually put it on there but i'm up to 42 weeks and haven't done it so far so you know don't rely on that (laughs) it'll happen it'll happen everyone it will happen (laughs) (laughs) and so michelle what are your and I say, what are your free top tips for anyone living with diabetes? Yeah. It doesn't have to be free. So mm. perhaps what are your top tips for anyone living um, with diabetes? From my experience, I would say listen to yourself. Because if you're struggling with something, only you can say what you're struggling with. Or if you're enjoying something, you can highlight that to yourself. So keep doing it. Uh, when we listen to ourselves, we hear questions and answers that only we can hear and we can identify the way we talk to ourselves. So that's really important. And I've changed the way I talk to myself by listening to myself. That's important. I used to be very self-critical, so now I'm not as judgmental. Be kind to yourself. I think that is something that I've realized now later in life. Being kind to ourselves can mean um, pre-bolusing. It can mean eating healthier. It can mean doing the exercise. But I think for so long, ignoring my diabetes meant I was being unkind to myself. So treating myself the way I would want to treat others is very important and so just be kind, whether it's your thoughts, whether it's your actions, be kind to yourself, give yourself grace. And search for community, I think, because from my experience, living alone uh, or feeling alone didn't help me. So searching for community that speaks to you can really help lift your spirits. And if you're having a sort of down day, look at that Instagram account or read that blog that helps lift you up. Listen to a song that helps speak to you. Do things that lift you up. Do not put on sad music when you're crying. It's just going to make you cry more. All right. So that's one thing. I don't know where I heard that, but I was like, that makes a lot of sense because the last thing you want to do when you're crying and feeling down is just go more south. So I think finding community in a way that speaks to you is one of the kindest things you can do because then you're listening to yourself. Yeah, definitely. It's very, very powerful. And Michelle, if people want to find you mm-hmm. online, I know we've just mentioned it, but for we'll mention it again. Yeah, Where so can they can mainly you? contact me on Instagram at Global Diabetic, uh, G-L-O-B-A-L-D-I-A-B-E-T-I-C. And um, feel free to DM me or if you're ever struggling with something, let me know and I'll put it, I'll talk about it on Mondays with Michelle as a topic. I have a website, www.globaldiabetic.com, which has some blogs from 
even my first pregnancy um, needs to be updated, but you know, that's a, that's a whole nother topic altogether. Um, I'm on Twitter at Global Diabetic. I'm on Facebook at Global Diabetic. Can't say I update those as much, but um, you know, I'm there. But otherwise, uh, Instagram is definitely yeah the way to go. I'll include links to all of the, your profiles and your website in the show notes. So please do check out those those links. And Michelle, I just want to thank you for for the conversation today. It's it's been really enjoyable um, from going from talking about obviously your your diagnosis story and and how you navigated diabetes pregnancy and living with with diabetes and living in different countries and then talking about finding joy and how all of your experiences has ultimately ultimately led you to the point of creating um global global diabetic and what i really took away from our conversation is more to do with kind of life skills about being kind to yourself having that sense of belonging which is important when you're living with diabetes or a chronic illness finding your community finding your tribe and knowing that the challenges that you face now or the challenges if you're listening to this that you're currently in it, uh, you will eventually get through those challenges and actually to look at them as a learning once you do get through them look at that as a, le- a way to learn it might not be pretty how you get through it might not be quick it might not be easy but one day you will get through those and you may not even realize you've got through until you take a second to to kind of to look back and analyze and and just go go from there so i i really i really do appreciate that touch and that side that you brought to brought to the conversation because I think it's really, really important. And yeah, just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. I really enjoyed talking to you. And um one day maybe you can um come on Mondays with Michelle and I can interview there. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, sounds definitely. great. I'll Thanks so there. much, Dan. Thank I appreciate your time. Thanks, Michelle.